Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today is Amina Brown, the host of three podcasts, Her with Amina Brown, the limited edition, How to Fix a Broken Record, related to her book of the same name, and Here for the Donuts, that she does with her sister-in-law. She and her husband, Ove Diggy, live in Atlanta. She's a poet, speaker, author, five spoken word albums, two nonfiction books, Breaking Old Rhythms, and her latest release, How to Fix a Broken Record, which we'll talk about today. How to Fix a Broken Record, thoughts on vinyl records, awkward relationships, learning to be myself. Thank you so much, Amina, for being my guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love it that you do podcasts, and I really appreciate your podcast that I've been able to hear um, recently. I haven't been acquainted with it till recently, but maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, why you began a podcast and what you're up to with that. Yeah, I started a podcast originally with my sister-in-law. That was my first podcast, mm-hmm. Here for the Donuts. Our our longer mm-hmm. name is Here for the Donuts, Stay for the Cupcakes, but yeah, <laughs> just leave it here for the donuts for most of our listeners. <laughs> so um, I just, I love my sister-in-law. She's one of my greatest friends and mm-hmm. we bonded over eating carbs and just having an appropriate conversation and bless our hearts, decided to record it and share it with other people. <laughs> <laughs> And so I really just fell in love with the medium of podcasting, getting a chance to do that with her. Mm -hmm. And then uh, normally when I release a book, I release an album to go with it, which Mm -hmm. is what I did for Breaking Old Rhythms. But when I was releasing How to Fix a Broken Record, I had just released an album the year before Mm -hmm. the book came out. And so I just kind of felt like in a way that album was probably closer in theme to the book so it did make sense to mm. release another album when I didn't really have new material because I put all my material into the book mm-hmm. and so that's what made me decide to try just a limited podcast series I think I knew in my head I wanted to have a regular seasonal podcast but mm-hmm. I knew for here for the donuts you know I'm I'm a traveling poet and my sister-in-law's a midwife. I mean, we just have to find a time when we can both sit down, you know? Mm. So I knew we would be able to have a podcast that we'd be able to release every week without being totally stressed out Mm -hmm. and just yelling (laughs) and everything. So I wanted to leave here for the donuts um, to be something that we had a chance to do just for fun. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, let me try my hand at just interviewing people on the themes of my book for my book podcast and then I'll see how I feel. And so I did 10 episodes for mm. that. And then after I finished that, I was like, oh, I got to do this more. So mm. my current podcast that is seasonal, I release two seasons a year. It's called Her with Amina Brown. And it is about uh, centering the stories of women and in particular women of color on a theme. Mm. So far, we're three seasons in. So I've been able to explore with the women on my podcast, the theme of body the theme of lost and found. And for season three, we are on the theme create. So it's Mm. fun. 
And do those things like create? What are some of who are some of your guests? Does it extend? Is it just artists? Does it extend uh, beyond some of those boundaries? Yeah, I try to approach each season's theme like I would these words in a poem, you know. So, mm. for example, when I did Body, I mean, we did interviews with a woman who was a pastor because she pastored the body of Christ. Mm. But I also interviewed Anawa Aja, who mm. is a curvy fit personal trainer about training the body and interviewed mm. Deidre Riggs about the body of the paragraph, you know. So I try to take each season and think about how many ways can you turn that word or phrase on its head in a way. And so for Create, it's been a lot of fun because Mm -hmm. I've been able to uh, interview actually this week, Latasha Morrison will be on the podcast talking about creating an online community. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking to entrepreneurs and people who started nonprofits and people who founded hashtags, you know, I mean, just thinking of all the ways that women of color are creating in the world and in community. So it's been a lot of fun. This is, this has probably been my, my favorite season to date, but I probably mm. say that every season. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I feel the most connected. What's your favorite book? Nobody can ever ask me that because it's whichever one I'm reading. Basically, it's my fave. <laughs> Well, that's really cool. I, I've also fallen in love with with the format of audio and podcasting, even though I was a visual artist in my undergrad. And But there's something about settling down to listen, uh, opening up that sense. Uh, it's just a beautiful medium, and I, I really appreciate it too. And then you kind of get, you kind of wonder what else could we blow open in this medium? You know, what else, what else could we do with it? And I think as a creator, um, as I'm a creator and, and you are too, there's, it's like, Hmm, what else could we do? And, and who else, um, who else's story could we highlight? I, I know it, um, it's very inspiring to see what you're doing. And there's so many other people who finally can have a voice in this medium who uh, couldn't get past gatekeepers otherwise. Yeah, I really love that part about podcasting, too. And, you know, I always, as a kid, dreamed to be on the radio Mm. and just to have something like podcasting where you're not having to wait for someone to hire you or, you know, bring you on to do this particular thing. You can decide you want to do it, decide how you want to do it. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's weird for me as a stage performer is having these amazing conversations and not being able to interact real time, you uh, know, with the yeah. people who are listening. That's that's still a really weird thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I just like, <laughs> I love when I get reviews or mm-hmm. people respond on social media saying that they've listened because it's kind of mm-hmm. like you're talking in a vacuum at the time that you're mm-hmm. recording. You're having a conversation yeah. that then other people are going to listen to, but they're listening to it without you being present. Mm-hmm. So they're having their own, you know, reactions and thoughts. So I'm hoping... Eventually, I haven't done this yet, but I, I really want to do a couple of live events with my mm. podcast because that would just yeah be so great to be able to interact with listeners in person, you know. Yeah, and have you done things like like live streaming or like Facebook Live or things like that? I haven't done that with the podcast yet mm-hmm. because, as you know, it's like mm. it is really like being in production when you're. Mm-hmm. Recording for a season. I mean, I'm doing mine yeah. seasonally for that reason because I don't. I don't think I could do 
just a podcast that had to come out every week, I think I'd be so stressed. So it's sort of mm. like I have to enter production mode of like, mm. okay, this season I'm trying to, you know, explore this theme mm. and who are we looking for and mm. who do we want to approach? And of course, like having to come up with, normally I'm trying to land between 10 and 12 solid episodes. I'm probably going to be more than that this season. Oh, wow. So I really need to request like 20 interviews because some of those people are just going to say no or mm. are not going to respond because they're like, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know who you are <laughs> or why I should say yes to this. So it's oh. a lot of like curating that goes along with it that just takes my energy. Right. And so I never get to the like does interview live, you know, or any of those things. <laughs> So I'm hoping here in Atlanta, uh, there are a couple of people here locally that I wasn't able to get on previous seasons that I wanted to. And I'm hoping to maybe do sort of a panel style discussion, a little different from the format Mm. of the podcast. Usually just maybe me and three or four other women of color talking on a topic. So Mm -hmm. we'll see, Lisa, but I got to get past production of season three. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've done a couple of, of them where I release it as a podcast later, but some people got to see it, you know, live if they were sponsors or, or whatever, that was a course or something like that. And there's something totally different. It's like, I, I got like nervous, sweaty, where you could smell yourself, you know, <laughs> it's like, ah, because if you, if you're messing up, it's, it's all there. If you like, I forgot a piece of paper that had some important things on it. And you're kind of like, hum, how am I going to get over this hurdle? And everybody's just there. They're like, oh, that's okay. They're like typing your, their condolences. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, I really messed this up. This will have to, maybe this will get edited in the, before the podcast comes out. But it is, it is nice to have that back and forth too. So I guess there's just a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but um so well let's segue a little bit into your book because this is this was great and i don't know if um do you have an audiobook of of this yet yeah i do yeah the audiobook's out too that's what i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to just i got you know your pdf and i'm just gonna have to get the audiobook and i'm gonna tell listeners i bet it's worth it i bet it's worth you should sell it for double the price of your regular <laughs> book because it is so funny. And I could, I was, I was just having listened to you already. I was, I was imagining your voice saying the things that were funny in the book. And I'm like, Oh man, it's hilarious stuff. And how you say, how you say it in your style. I just, I was just laughing out loud. And I was like, Oh, I wish I wasn't reading this. I wish I was hearing it. So, um, yeah, it's there's a lot about identity. There's a lot about awkward relationships, and of course the the records we play, the broken records we play in our heads. Um, I maybe could start off with something I read on page twenty six, where um, you were talking about the only way for me to keep my seat at the table was to try to be anyone except myself. That was um, kind of early on. You were talking about that, and it's it's an interesting thing you're you're talking about. I'll let you kind of explain a little bit of, of what you mean there but uh it's the idea of of trying to be trying to act and trying to be like we think people want us to be and how bad we are at not being ourselves um and also just you know trying to find out who that self is maybe you can speak to some of what you're speaking about in the book on those terms yeah i think that was in the 
love and be yourself section of the book. And it's always interesting to me because sometimes I will have people who've read the book, they'll come up to me and say, Oh, I, I, I can't wait to give this to my, my high school student or, mm. you know, my young person that I mentor. And I, I think it's this section that makes people feel that way. Mm. I always am cautioning them. Like if you haven't read the rest of the book, do that before you give this to someone who's mm. 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that it's for kids, but um, <laughs> I think what I was trying to explore in that section was this idea that we experience a lot of those early lessons of insecurities Mm. and of feeling uncertain about ourselves and who we are. And to say that we carry a lot of that into adulthood, it's not like 18 years old or Mm. 25 years old becomes this shut door on the things that we were told directly or indirectly about who we are or who we think we're supposed to be. So I was trying to make sort of that connection between those odd feelings that many of us felt in our high school cafeteria, you know, Mm -hmm. when everyone was all segmented off into their groups and, you know, whatever group you were a part of, maybe you didn't connect well with this group over here. I mean, there were all sorts of, I mean, I was, you know, going to high school in the 90s, so there was Mm -hmm. all sorts of goth and grunge and (laughs) hip hop and, you know, there were Mm -hmm. all sorts of ways we, you know, divided among ourselves, but to really say we don't, we don't necessarily lose those thoughts just because we become adults. And how do we excavate that we think those things? And how do we uproot some of that thinking so that we can broaden our view from whatever we deem to be like the cool kids table? Mm. And like, what is that? You know, and does it, does (laughs) it really exist? And, and even when it does exist, when we finally get our coveted seat at the table is it what we wanted Mm. is it a table we really want to be sitting at so I was trying to explore some of those ideas and to say let's you know let's bulldoze some of those ideas or Mm. deconstruct and rebuild a better way rebuild a better table for ourselves you know right yeah it's right near the part where you're talking about your case with sneakers and uh, (laughs) you know that doesn't fit with every outfit um and it's and it's funny too because I had kind of well I had gone to um, like visual and arts and stuff like that in undergrad and then it's the artists and they're you know they're pierced and they're the the weirdest ones of in college right so I was kind of like oh good just make your own trail you just go for it <laughs> and then my first writers conference that I go to it's like a, you know a bunch of introverts it's not a problem but um, but it's also like just tons and tons of insecurity on display, whether, you know, do I fit in here? Is this my table? And, and it, it was like, it felt like being in high school again. And I was like, oh, are so everybody still wants to be at the cool kid table and no one can figure out which table that is because what I was noticing is what people were assuming was the cool kid table was just the just the table of writers who had kind of made it, but they sh- yeah. they weren't sure when that was going to get taken away either. You know, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> then, it's like no one's no one's feeling super secure. Right. No one. I was like, we're adults though. Like we have the we have the passwords. We have the codes. Don't we have the codes to this adulthood thing? <laughs> and um, and then at, at some point we we got it. I don't know. I guess I was just thinking like I thought it was going to get easier. I thought. It, 
thought this part got easier, you know, where we go, we don't need a cool kid table. Everybody can be their own self. Um, but those core wounds, um, I was I was reading a book that was talking about Thomas Keating, Thomas Keating, um, Father Thomas Keating's work on on the three core wounds that that we try to have, we try to fix with our happiness projects, our fulfillment projects. And there's the um, safety and security, the esteem and affection core wound, that second one, and then the uh, power and control. Mm. And I was kind of like, oh, you're just supposed to have one? Because like, <laughs> right. I've got like, all three of that, those. That's all of my wounds. Right, yeah. And I'm thinking, gosh, it, that's like all my projects all the time. And so, you know, unless they're getting really a, truly addressed, those are the broken records, right? You know, they're, mm-hmm. that's what we're, that's the, all the battles that we're fighting and we're trying to figure out who, who's going to like us, where are we going to get our affection and esteem, and, and trying to fit in somewhere. And I saw a lot of those, I'm reading like both things at the same time, they're all crisscrossing with, with all these similar, similar things that you're struggling with, which I think everybody does, trying to know where's my place. Yeah, I think that's what makes it powerful to explore these ideas, because I think we in in our, you know, proverbial high school experience, I think we had a view of the people that we thought were popular Mm. or maybe had more money or more resources or did better grade wise than we did, whatever the whatever the, the thing was we were comparing, you know, we have this view of them that they had a perfect life. And that nothing was mm-hmm. going wrong for them like it was for us. And right. I think the hope is as we mature and grow that we realize even the people, you know, even when we're at the writers conference and the people who had better book sales than we did still have insecurities to deal with, still have family dysfunction to walk through, you know, still have a therapist that they see to help right, them. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes and sometimes need a therapist and don't see one. You know, there's all <laughs> these, you know, different variables there. And so I found I found that I've had uh, better, healthier, and deeper community with people when I've accepted those things about myself mm. and I've stopped assuming that other people don't also have to deal with these same things mm. that I'm experiencing. Then it creates, it's because it's almost like you don't want to, you don't want to like start doing the air quotes, build your own table. And then now you're building a cool kids table that (laughs) other people are excluded from because that's, Mm. you know, counterproductive. But I think the purpose is more, you know, to be able to just build uh, open spaces for people Mm. to come and be able to be themselves. And that takes a different commitment from us and a different openness from us Mm. than when we walk in already feeling like we don't belong there you know Mm. when we walk in like hey i just have to find my people and and i do think a hard part about adulthood also Mm. at least for me was just accepting like and everybody's not my people yeah and everybody's not gonna dig me you know everybody's (laughs) not gonna like me and Mm. Mm. i will live Mm -hmm. as they don't like me and they will live not liking me (laughs) and if we can accept (laughs) that that the job of like building your own table and being in more communal spaces with people, that doesn't mean you're just doing everything you can to be liked. Mm. You know, there's going to be some people that just, you're not their jam. And there's other people, they're not my jam and I'm okay with it, you know, but find some people 
who are your jam. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's such good advice. I, I think that has plagued me and many, I've heard the same sort of thing. Like I've, I just wanted, you know, I thought that I could like everybody and everybody could like me. It's like, not exactly though. It doesn't mean you have to be nasty to people or, you know, unkind, but it just doesn't mean that everybody's going to click together. And um, it's like you say on page 61, sometimes my worst broken records are tangled in the false sense of expectations. It's kind of what you're yeah. speaking to. And mm -hmm. we're thinking those expectations are like, can't, can I just click with everybody? No. <laughs> no, it's unfortunately not. not. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I think, you know, I, I thought, maybe I thought that. Maybe I had a lot of, you know, false sense of expectations too about different things and that um, some people won't get you and get what you're doing or appreciate it or understand it. But when you're honest with how you're doing your work and it's not coming from a place of pretending, it's coming from, you know, something authentic. I think it does connect. There are people that that are like, I, I get what you're doing. I see, I see what you're doing and I see you and it's connecting with me. Yeah, I, I, that's been a much better way for me to go than, yeah. and I have, and I have totally, I mean, I wrote that because I have totally found myself, you know, personally and professionally just get like getting back stuck in that paradigm of the cool kids table thinking, you know, mm -hmm. like being in green rooms at events and being like, well, I should be there talking to those people. Those mm. are the people to, you know, whatever. Yeah. And just part of the work of, you know, healing from our broken records is just reminding myself like that paradigm that you have in your mind about the cool kids table, it's false mm. and it doesn't work. And this is actually what works is you being who you are and watching who is drawn to you and who you are drawn to mm. when you are yourself. And mm. even in our work, you know, for those of us who are creatives, even in the work we put out into the world, you know, I, I'm not a person that can write to the spec of what is trendy to write about mm. or what might really sell well if I were to write about that. And that's not to shade people who can. <laughs> Some people totally can do that. They have a talent where they're like, oh, this is a thing that's trending. I can write about this. Or this is a current event that's happening. I can speak to that. I don't happen to have that gift, <laughs> you know, but it doesn't make that person's gift better or worse than mine. Doesn't make what I do better or worse than them. It's just, we all bring what we can to the table. And when I've done that and just accepted, this is me. That was the journey of writing how to fix a broken record. Yeah. It's the most myself I've ever been in my work. Mm. So to put that out and to see how many people were drawn to it and drawn to the stories there yeah. was encouraging versus me feeling like feeling what I think would be a lot of empty feelings I would have if I had written a book that I thought I had to write for mm. this particular time, you know? Right. And and that really plays into, on, on 119, you talk about saying yes and saying no. And that's the thing, if you're trying to please or get the attention of a certain group or a certain on a certain topic, you f sometimes feel like, I better say yes to this. Or, or if you're offered something and you think, I, I'm, I'm trying to make this group like me or get... Um, popular in such and such a way, I should just say yes to all these things. And I really appreciate how you talk about 
um, saying yes and, and, and saying no. And you said being an artist and a business owner has taught me the power of saying no. And it can be really hard even just as a female to say no because se- sure. you seem like you're, you know, like not cooperative. Oh, my God, you're not cooperative. And uh, you kind of get punished for that, for being difficult or whatever in, in ways that men don't get punished, I think. Um, but um, I was just watching something. It was like one of these little animated things and it was Roxanne Gay talking about how she felt that she's finally after 40 able to say no because she values her time and she can't say yes to everything even when she's offered something fantastic and she felt like if she is the first black woman to do something and she's offered that she really felt like a duty to say yes like you know how can I say no and sometimes people won't take no from her and they'll keep asking and asking, and they won't take no for an answer. And she, and then she has felt guilty about it. And she's finally like, no, no is important. No is important for me to learn how to say. And I finally am okay saying it because um, people won't respect it unless you're really serious about it. And you're the only one who can have a real boundary. Other people won't really know where that is. And so you have to decide what you're going to say no to. It's it's just interesting when uh, you don't have a lot of people offering you things, and then when you do, you say yes to everything, yes, <laughs> and then finally you can't say yes anymore because it's too overwhelming. Yeah, I, I, I find that I am consistently having an interesting relationship with the yes and no. You know, mm. I've definitely gone through seasons where I almost like had had my you know how like some people say like kids can have their days and nights mixed up and I think I've gone through seasons of time where I had my yeses and my noes mixed up oh interesting where like I was saying I was saying yes more to the things that I felt I should say yes to and then those other things that came up I almost didn't even examine them because they didn't fit into this narrow idea of what I thought I should say yes to. So then Mm -hmm. I just said no. So almost had to practice even in this season of life. Mm -hmm. I'm in a little bit of a, you know, Shonda Rhimes year of yes, (laughs) experience (laughs) of life. But I'm just like having to switch that whole thing. So I Mm -hmm. went through a period of time towards the end of 2018, where I just felt really prompted to start like canceling things. (laughs) And I never do that. But Uh Uh, Not so much like if I had agreed to do a speak engagement or something like that, but just really looking at what were the things I committed to Mm -hmm. and what's realistic for me to keep up of these commitments. And I really pared down. I canceled most things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kept my podcast and I'm committed to working with um, a nonprofit. I committed to continue that work. I mean, it was very narrow, the things that I kept. But what I found in having a period of time where I said a lot of massive no's Mm -hmm. to things, (laughs) Um, then when 2019 came in, some other really cool opportunities came that I think in my busyness of having said yes to things I don't have to do, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have even had time to say yes to the things that were maybe going to put me more on a path of exploring something creatively or take me down a road that I I really want my career or my calling to go in this direction. 
Mm-hmm. So it's been a it's been an interesting to see how some of the saying no was a huge blow to my ego because it mm. meant having to call people that I had committed to mm-hmm. or made promises to them that I'd do this or that and having to say to them, I can't do this thing I told you I was going to yeah. do and I don't know when or if I will ever be able to do this thing you wanted me to do. That was super humbling for me as a person who Mm. is a very much of a doer type Mm. personality. But in doing that, it has shifted me to be able to say yes to some things that I just want to explore. Like I love emceeing events. So Mm. um, there's a local event here that happens in Atlanta called ATL Collective. And uh, what ATL Collective does each event, they take uh, a well-known album and all of these local artists will play the album track for track chronologically. So it's awesome. It's a great event. Well, they asked me to emcee it. And a year ago, if they'd asked me, I would have just had to say no because my plate was too full. I wouldn't even have the room or space to think about you know, yeah. can I do it? Should I do I want to anything? I would have I wouldn't have time to think about anything. Yeah. Whereas now I could go, yeah, I could totally do that. Let me try. Let me give it a try. Yeah, you know, and I right. think that's interesting about our relationship to yes and no. I think it's really important to think about the things we've said yes to and to not be afraid to have to go back on our words sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm and go, I thought I was going to be able to do this or complete that. Mm -hmm. I'm a human being. I can't do that. You know, I'm reaching my limitations. And when we kind of pare down what we're doing, then we can think about what we're filling that time with. And are we filling it with things that refuel us or Mm -hmm. inspire us or uh, help open up our minds to think differently, you know? Mm, That's really... That's really a good word. When when we say no to things, it's often, we're not saying no to things we don't want. We're usually saying no to like really pretty cool stuff or pretty interesting stuff. But it's it's really insightful what you said about, it's like a you feel embarrassed and humiliated to be like, oh, I have to make a change. And if, if we're the kind of people who are used to doing a ton of things at once, we feel like I should have I should be able to handle it. <laughs> I should be able to do these hundred things. And it's only, you know, when we get more clear sighted by paring things down that we have really even the vision to see, the clear vision to see, um the maybe not the the better opportunities, but like the, the ones that fit better. And um and I also think that just to be able to like I was mentioning before about being able to listen better to God and, and yeah. um, for the better fit, but also just to have enough margin too. Cause it's, I, I notice it happens in, in Christian circles a lot. It's like, well, I don't want to say no. Cause I don't want to be like the bad guy or the person who doesn't pull their weight or doesn't looks bad or something. And it, it is a really an ego thing. Cause like, well, if I say no, then maybe I'll look, you know, bad, but that's really just an ego thing, right? It's like, it's not, it's like, you don't want to look like the unkind or the non-generous person. You want to look like you're, you're doing something. But in reality, God doesn't, that's not what God wants for our lives. God wants us to be well matched for what God has in store for us. And the good matches and not 
well, you didn't take those five extra things. I'm so disappointed now. You know, that's not how God is seeing it. And I think we're just, yeah, we approach it sometimes from a very human-centered way. I can hear my dog just barking like crazy back there. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> and you, you talk about when God says no. I, I really appreciate this part, too. Maybe you could talk about it a little bit, uh, flesh it out a little bit more. Uh, you write, God understands the power of no. He is not, oh, sorry. Um, he is not a constant yes, God. Sometimes when God says no, it will hurt. It will sting. I will beg God to explain. Sometimes he never gives an explanation. And you write, practice saying no. What could you say about when God doesn't give an explanation? Um, how does that work out in your life? And what do you make of that? Man, it makes me so mad. <laughs> I get mad every time. I get mad and frustrated. But I think a part of it, you know, even to your earlier point, I think some of it, it I think what plays a big role in that is our perception of God. And for those of us who are in a Christian context, our perception of Jesus, you know, and mm -hmm. I think sometimes we have this, American mm -hmm. capitalist consumer mm. version of Jesus. Yeah. So in our minds, like when we look back through, you know, what we know of the life of Jesus, we're like, well, Jesus was always busy. And, <laughs> you know, wherever Jesus was, people stop Jesus and Jesus goes in their house and stops and heals them. And, you know, so like, I think we almost like mm. take Jesus and make this like very strange you know, Wall Street version, mm, yeah. <laughs> him, you know, where we're like, here's Jesus with his, you know, Birkenstocks and briefcase <laughs> or whatever. And Jesus is there just so busy, so busy, looks at Rolex. Oh, you need healing. There you are. Let's go to Galilee disciples. Busy, busy, you know, right. and I think we just, you know, to our, I won't say to our credit, but to give ourselves grace you know, some of it is our lack of understanding of the time mm. in which Jesus lived. You know, we are mm. we are putting the rhythms of what we're watching Jesus do in our Americanness mm. for those of us who are American. Mm -hmm. And we're not really going back to look at uh, the text and its historical place mm. and what was the rhythm of that time and of the community. And if we look at Jesus that way, and see the rhythm of Jesus's life. I mean, Jesus could have done, you know, 11,000 more human things, mm. you know, while mm -hmm. he was walking earth. Like he could have, he could have gone on like a world tour yeah. and he didn't, yeah. you know, he really stayed to uh, these particular certain areas to interact with these particular people and he was mm. taking time to have dinner with people that offended religious people and he was mm. taking time to stop and talk to children and you know there were some ways that Jesus handled time that I think sometimes in our Americanness we we like are telling that story in a way that it wasn't meant and then we're using that to put pressure on ourselves and others mm. about what we ought to be doing or, yeah. you know, what, what it should look like for us to, you know, walk out our Christian faith. And if mm. we really look at Jesus and look at the rhythms of God, mm. they tend to be slower rhythms than I think we mm. would like to acknowledge. They tend to be 
very, very much um, not to do list mm. oriented and not something that is going to add up really cleanly at the end of your Excel sheet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like you're going to put in your formula and there, <laughs> there it is. It's going to happen. So I think if we really follow the rhythm mm. of God, it's very ancient. Mm. It is not. Um, God is eternal. So. God can be uh, in an ancient way and be in our modern time. But I think God really lets us reflect on on ancient rhythms as well and how mm-hmm. we can see them even in our modernity, you know. So yeah. I think when I think about, you know, God saying no, I, you know, obviously I hate it because <laughs> I want to control God. <laughs> I want God to do, you know, I want God to do the things I say. I want to... Mm-hmm. I want to pray to God and sort of, you know, in a way that sometimes people, you know, in, in the sitcom world, how the, <laughs> the relationship to the, the wife or husband or the mother father is viewed. And in, in, in a lot of sitcoms, it's like the mother or the wife is always sort of putting seeds into the mind of the husband to really <laughs> get the things done that she wants to get done. You know, just yeah, that sort yeah. of sitcom stereotype and... <laughs> I totally view God that way some of the time that I'm like, well, if I pray this, Mm -hmm. I hope I'm (laughs) laying the groundwork with you to just like do the things I'm saying. (laughs) Maybe maybe God will. I thought of it myself, actually. It wasn't even a hint. (laughs) It was something I got thought up on his own without me hinting. (laughs) Yeah. He'll be fooled. Yeah. 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 So I think I think that that's a part of the, the tension mm-hmm. of that, uh, that God is, that it's not God's job mm-hmm. or, uh, that it is not God's nature to mm-hmm. just do what we say mm-hmm. or to bring about the things that we want. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes we want something and however our life works out, we don't get whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have asked for something and it shows up in a completely different way than we asked or expected. And that requires a lot of humility from us and requires a lot of surrender Mm -hmm. from us to, to have to, and it also for me requires examining, you know, do I really trust God Mm -hmm. more than I trust what I know or what I think I know and and to be honest with God, sometimes I don't. I totally mm-hmm. trust myself and my ability to Google more than I trust you <laughs> right. to have my life figured out. I just right. I just do God and God help me. You know, <laughs> help me that I feel that way or yeah. that I think that way. And so yeah. I think it really just forces us to reckon with our theology mm. and what we really believe about God. Mm. And my hope, of course, is that. Uh, for myself and for, you know, anyone else that it returns us to who God really is Mm -hmm. and how God really is, not what we or anyone else has made God to be, but that it returns us to, Mm -hmm. well, who are you then if you're not a genie, (laughs) you know, and I don't get my wishes, right? then who are you and and who is that that I can know? Yeah. Yeah. And God is not efficient. Like we think sometimes uh, or the Jesus the CEO wouldn't what well, he wasn't a CEO though <laughs> you know it's like I've seen right. I've seen but he but he wasn't it would it was 
not like a clever business plan. It wasn't like there, there wasn't efficient efficiency. There was a lot of slow time, you know, and uh, relationship building, and that takes a long time. And I think for me, as you're as you're speaking, um, and I'm thinking a lot of the same. You know, I've had all the, all those same thoughts, and I. I know for me it was such this block of thinking basically that God is like a big human, that God is basically thinking in human ways or that um, God is kind of like people I've known, (laughs) probably going to lie to me or, um, you know, I'll get bossed around or, um, you know, keep me in the dark about something that maybe, I, you know, shouldn't I know this? <laughs> you know, shouldn't you tell me more info? Um, and, and God has, um, you know, leaves us in obscurity, I'm sure many times for our own good, because it would probably just make us nervous wrecks <laughs> or something. But when we think about God, I know for the longest time I, you know, was kind of praying um, for God to kind of reveal idols. You know, what what are the idols that I have, God? And and you know, please reveal those to me. Well, it was like, oh, you want you want that, huh? Well, I'll tell you, there are idols all the way down. <laughs> it just goes all the way down. Listen, <laughs> pretty much everything you think is wrong, <laughs> because it's and that's kind of how we. We get by thinking of God in certain ways, but if we're latched on too hard to any one of those, it's it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Uh, in on page one thirty eight, you talk about success, and I I really appreciate. Um, maybe you can speak to success uh, and um, open this up a little bit more. I I really appreciate your perspective on this. You say success is not just about the balance in my bank account or the status I can amass. Success is also about the state of my soul and the balance in my relationships. If I am kind and humble, if I can serve alongside others, if I can take whatever I'm given and leave it better than it was when I arrived. So was that something that you felt like you came upon after learning it or was it something that you've kind of carried with you along the way? I think it's something that I'm always, I'm always returning to like redefine what is my Mm. idea of success. And I think that's part of what prompted me to want to write about that because I think as an entrepreneur, as an artist, even as I'm sitting there writing this freaking book (laughs) like I just think there's all these ideas out there about you know what does success look like and then whatever we deem that to be or however we define that is how we sometimes beat ourselves up about what we've done or what we haven't done or you know those things so I I am always returning to like what does success look like to me because I want I want to know what that is like holistically, not just as far as what the numbers might be, right? What I make every year or how many books I sell or how many events I performed at that year. But 
holistically, what does it look like for my life to succeed? Mm. You know, really like to ask myself those questions. And I'm always returning to that. And I think it's an important question for all of us to Mm. ask ourselves because everybody has different definitions of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's important to know too. It's like everybody has different things that they need to be able to go to sleep peacefully at night. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't judge what another person needs to do in order to have peace, you know, in their home, in their life, or however that works. So Mm -hmm. I I like to really think about that word success. And instead of letting it be something that becomes this bar that I raise so high, I can't reach it Mm -hmm. for me to really think about holistically, what do I what do I want? What makes almost like success to me really is more so like what's what what is fulfillment or meaning mm, right look like in life mm-hmm. and that does sometimes you know include money and like how how much money or resource or numbers yeah. it does sometimes include that mm-hmm. but it also includes my relationships and it includes how i'm doing mm-hmm. as a whole person right you know it includes a lot of other things and to make sure that when i'm defining that i'm not uh, losing one to gain the other thing, that I'm not losing my health to gain mm-hmm. these good numbers over here, or that I'm not losing peace mm. in order to gain whatever I think people would perceive as success if they were to look at me externally. So, mm. you know, I mean, I'm a poet. I just, I ruminate. So I ruminate <laughs> right. over that word all the time. <laughs> well, was there something that you thought was success that turned out to not be? Um, I mean, I think working in corporate America, I thought was going to feel like success Mm. to me. Yeah. And I discovered for me, it wasn't Mm -hmm. that it wasn't satisfying. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was working in corporate America that made me discover that I had an entrepreneur inside. Mm. That was never something that I intended to be when other people would say oh, yeah. like, I'm going to start my own business. I would just look at them and be like, Godspeed. You know, <laughs> well, I don't good for you. <laughs> yeah. I, I want I, the benefits blessings. and I want the 401k. <laughs> yeah. I like, blessings to you. I don't know. And, and I think for me, it was just, yeah. I couldn't imagine creating something for myself. Hmm. I think that's a part of what really was the barrier for me. It's like when you work for someone else, mm-hmm. you're walking into something someone else thought about yeah. and created. They thought about the mission statement and hmm. what the product or services they want to sell. They thought about what are the job descriptions of the people we want to work here. So I, I hmm. liked that idea of walking into something that was already made. Yeah. Right. And so to start working in corporate America and realize like, oh, gosh, someone made this and like other people are functioning really great here mm. and I'm not functioning great here. I actually might be best working in a thing that I build mm. myself. So I think that was one of those moments where I was like, well, I, I'm you know, I got hired by a Fortune 500 company to write for them. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I have a 401k and, <laughs> you know, I have all these great benefits and just feeling mm. like this is horrible <laughs> pits in my stomach on Sunday mm. when it was time to get ready to go to work Monday. And I was oh. like, I don't think this is what success is supposed to yeah. feel like. And I've also oh. been, you know, just sharing with other creatives and entrepreneurs too 
that it's also okay to be in the middle of building your business and discover that that's no longer success to you either. Yeah, I think that's a part of it too, giving yourself this openness of, you know, you are going to be a certain person at a certain time of your life when Mm -hmm. you're 27 years old. Mm -hmm. And then you may turn 40 Mm -hmm. and discover that the person who's 40 needs different things than the Mm -hmm. person who was 27 and to give yourself Mm -hmm. that permission. So I even had to give myself that open door right now. Like I've been in my business now uh, working for myself for almost 10 years. And it's okay if I decide I'd rather go work for someone else too, or it's okay if I decide to switch what this looks like. I think that's also inherent now in my definition of success is just being seasonal about that and being discerning about how that might change and then it doesn't mean, I mean, you know, here we are with the play of success and failure, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have failed because your definition of success changes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it really, success is kind of being attuned to what is the next right thing for me um, mm-hmm. instead of what, what am I, what are people expecting or something? You know, when you like if you get through college, well, people are expecting that I go into X career because I've been studying this. And then, you know, I, I got the sense from reading your book that you really had to create and you're an artist and the cubicle was just not going to do it. Mm-mm. So you, Mm-mm. it was kind of, um, I mean, it was life giving to make your own things and to come into your own that way. And was that the sense, did you, do you feel that you are as a creator, you just must do it? Or do you feel like that's a season of your life where you are? And and maybe that would change. I feel like I will always create. Like when I think Mm -hmm. about being a poet, Mm. I was a poet before I ever got paid to do it. Before it was my job, before it was my business. So no matter what I'm doing for a living or as a vocation, I'm always going to write poems and I'm always going to perform them. And there will always be a place Mm. to do it because the poets are always going to find a place. If it's in somebody's (laughs) house, if it's in the back corner of some coffee shop somewhere, it's in a club or a lounge, we're going to find a place. So I think for me, that takes that takes a bit of the pressure off for me Mm -hmm. in being open to how you know, life might make some different turns. I don't need, I don't need to be a poet for a living to remain a poet. I will Mm -hmm. always be a poet. It -hmm. happens at this point, you know, in this season of my life that that's what I'm, you know, making my living doing. And, you know, I'm using living loosely to mean that, you know, I have vegetables and fruit to eat and, and have somewhere to live. You know, I mean, it's not like, a, you know, we are, we are not, we are not rolling in our riches being a poet for a living, but we are making a sustainable life doing that. And that's a huge blessing for me, yeah. but I'm going to be a poet, um, yeah. whether or not it continues to make money for me, whether or not the market shifts and mm. maybe people don't want the kind of poetry I do or whatever, like I'm still going to be a writer And I think it's good for us as creatives to hold on to that, that the title that we Mm. finally accept of who we are, that we are painter or sculptor or Mm. dancer or choreographer or designer, that our paychecks are not what tell us that that's what we are, Mm. you know? That's that's such a good point. And it's really our soul that tells us, you know, when we're we're right there in the flow and it's like, ah, I feel so much, I feel alive, 
that's what tells you, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. if, even if somebody's not even appreciating it, you still have to do it. If you're, if yeah. you feel alive doing it, that's, that's what you do. And then you could, you could get some other job to make sure that the bills get paid, but I still think you have to do, if you're a creator, you do it. And I, I've had this conversation with, with plenty of other people too. And I said, so just tell me if, if you were on a desert island, no one would see your things. Wouldn't you basically have to keep doing it? Yes. I said, okay, that's how I feel too. Because right, it might totally. seem crazy, but, but that's how I'm wired for this world at this point. I don't know how else to do it. And so, um, if I I'm mean, not- I'm not going to lie. Even if I'm on the de- deserted island, I there's still a part of me that's writing, hoping some generation later is going to find my stuff and think it's amazing. But I would totally still write. But yeah. I would be thinking like, and just in case, you know, some kid in like 2050 yeah, right. stumbles upon this place and it's like, look, some brilliant writer journaled about her whole time <laughs> what was happening here she deserted here yeah. publishes her book and yeah. then she becomes amazing and well known <laughs> it could happen it could happen well i think the cave paintings are like that i don't think they made them just for them i think they made them i i think there was something in it that was also like oh this was this is gonna last i, I don't maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm projecting or something but there's something about when you see those when you see petroglyphs or when you see the cave paintings or anything like that that's lasted a really long time, you think, did they really just do this for just entertainment for just them? I wonder if they just couldn't help themselves and they were also kind of like, check out my stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because you want to leave your mark. I mean, I yeah. think that's in even the most introverted of us, mm-hmm. even the most of us who would just, you know shoot our middle finger to the man or the establishment or whatever. I mean, there's still something in us that wants to make our mark, even if Uh we make our mark by that one person, we really wanted to see it, Mm. seeing it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about all sorts of things we write when we're falling in love with someone and Mm. all the things we put there that really are for that person's eyes, even if, we never get the courage for them to see it. We want to make our mark in the world in some way. That's why we make stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, you you talk a lot about marriage. I'm not going to get into that, but maybe you could come back on, because I haven't read a really good, funny book that also talks so nicely, so candidly <laughs> about marriage and so honestly. And I, I hope you come back on to talk about that, because um, also just about singlehood and that whole uh, issues of that, and then... Um, a really purity culture too, and then marriage. And you you talk about marriage in some re- really down to earth, realistic ways. So I don't know. I know you you have to say no to a lot of things, but maybe in like uh, six months or a year, you could come back on and we could do a marriage <laughs> round or something. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna and I'll be a little further along right. in my marriage by then, more so tips. I might have more things to say. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's weird to write about it yeah. when you know at that time I was writing the book. I mean, my mm-hmm. husband and I were only maybe five, maybe mm-hmm. five years into our marriage at that point, you know, so I'm like, this is not me writing the quintessential everyone do what we're doing book, you know, like, yeah. I need to just be honest about it. So yeah, maybe, maybe by the time I'm back on, <laughs> then I'll be able to really, you know, posture myself and watch out for this you know, landmine and watch yeah, and just tell everyone. Well, now, 
now that I've arrived at this many years, now I'll tell you what to do and how to be like us, which is terrible (laughs) advice. It's terrible marriage (laughs) advice, everyone. Anyone that's married, that's like, here's how you can be like us. Don't listen to that. Run the other way. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, maybe to close out, you you have um, on page 204, I believe, you talk about our hearts and souls are constantly recording. I, I really like how you talk about that. It's it's in the part called listening parties. And um, I love the idea to remember that our hearts and our souls are constantly recording. And um, what does that mean to you when you wrote that? What were you driving at? I think I think it means beautiful and ugly Mm. in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it means it's okay for us to acknowledge trauma Mm. that we've experienced and heartbreak that we've experienced that Mm. even if we don't outwardly acknowledge those things, like the body records, the soul records, and it's better for us to say back to the body or the soul you have recorded that as trauma and I acknowledge that this traumatic thing has happened. Mm. I acknowledge this trauma that I have survived or this trauma that has totally broken me Mm. into many pieces. So I think part of it is that, Mm. but I think the other part of it too is acknowledging that we are recording uh, many beautiful and ordinary things. And some days we remember to stop and acknowledge them and some days we don't and they just all accumulate until some other day comes that we start like thinking about our journey and factoring all those things I mean the people who loved us really well Mm. and uh, the places we lived that made us feel at home that when we return to that place even if we don't live there anymore we still feel like home you know Mm. there's all those beautiful things that our eyes and bodies and souls are recording that are great uh, songs for us to revisit. Mm. Is there anything else that you would like to mention or are you working on another book or anything you'd like to point my listeners to, to, to make sure they don't miss or any last words of wisdom? (laughs) Oh gosh, I am not working on another book, everyone. So be (laughs) thankful. Everyone be glad. (laughs) Boo. Boo. <laughs> I, I, I'm taking a break from book writing, at least from nonfiction book writing, so mm-hmm. that I can live my life. And then <laughs> I might have some things to yeah, write. But I'm just like, I wrote How to Fix a Broken Record. And then I was like, whoo, tapped out. Needs a break. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my took gosh. A lot of, so, well, you covered a whoa. ton of things. Man. You really whoa, did. I was like, oh, dear. So I, yeah. I, I was like, I just had to tell everyone on my team. I was like, there's not going to be a book for a while, everybody. <laughs> Give me a minute. But I will say one of the things I'm working on that I'm wanting to release 2019, Mm -hmm. I have never released a full length book of poetry. Oh, wow. So that is actually um, on the agenda for 2019, which is much easier than (laughs) working on a nonfiction book, everyone, because the poems Mm. are already written, which is great. So there'll be um, some poems that people have obviously heard and been able to engage with in my shows and things. Mm -hmm. And uh, there'll be some poems people haven't seen because some of them are things I never perform, but I've just written and I just keep a file of all these things. So Mm. I'm really looking forward to that. And obviously looking forward to continue working on my podcast, Her with Amina Brown, just Mm -hmm. it's really important to me in my personal life and professionally to as much as I can center the voices of women of color, women of color are leading us and, Mm are building and creating so many amazing things. And I want people to know their names and know the work they're doing 
And I want them to be able to tell their stories in their own voice, to share whatever they want to share, to keep the parts to themselves. They want to keep to themselves just for for all of us as women of color to continue to have that kind of autonomy. So Mm. that's what I'm working on. That's wonderful. I'm very excited about the poetry, too. So I'll be keeping my eyes peeled. And uh, oh, that, that reminds me, what who are some of your favorite poets that you've been appreciating recently? Um, or just some that you really oh man I know um, that's a tough that's a toughie but <laughs> it's like how many thousands of poets do yeah I or love? just like um, in the recently um or just really inspirational ones for you um Morgan Parker mm. I love her um I'm gonna feel like I'm gonna butcher the title of her book <laughs> but I feel like the title of her book is there are more beautiful things than Beyonce which is a bold huh. title, but I'm yeah. here for it. And I love, I loved the poems in there. My sister, um, I think she let me borrow the book and I still haven't given it back. Bless my heart. Um, <laughs> and I, I have to say a book that I always keep in my library. I actually have two copies because I'm never going to give anyone a copy to borrow mm. or have is Intozaki Shange's For Color Girls, mm. who I've considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Mm. is still one of my favorite works. I love mm-hmm. to reread it. I, I always want to have a copy in my library mm. and I'm never going to let anyone borrow it. They have to sit here <laughs> in my right. house and read it. That's it. It'll have a barcode and beep, beep, beep. Oh, yeah, no, no, like, oh, back mm-hmm. it up. You're trying to get out of the house with that. No, <laughs> it's a no for me. Oh, that's awesome. Well, um, I will let you go. I won't take up your whole afternoon here, but this has been so lovely and I'm very grateful for your time. Yes. Thank you so much for having me.